Welcome to Election R&D from the University of Southern California's Center for the Political Future. Our podcast brings together America's top politicians, journalists, academics, and strategists from across the political spectrum for discussions on hot-button issues where we respect each other and respect the truth. We hope you enjoy these conversations. Welcome to Election R&D. I'm Bob Shrum, the director of the Center for the Political Future at USC Dornsife. Uh, I'm here with my uh, co-director and friend, or frenemy, uh, Mike <laughs> Murphy. Uh, and we're privileged to do this in cooperation with the Rancho Mirage Writers Festival. And shout out to Jamie Cabler and Deborah Chu. Uh, our next election R&D will be on Thursday, October 8th, with Minion Moore, who's a high official in the Clinton administration, to talk about the vice presidential debate. Uh, today, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to talk for a shorter period of time ourselves so that we leave more time for questions. Uh, and I guess I have a take on what happened last night, but I think I'll let Mike have first crack at it. Uh, Trump's down in most of the swing states uh, and nationally, and Biden's lead has been steady and has lasted over a long period of time. What was the impact of last night's debate, Mike? Well, I think you have to break it into two parts. One is the impact that we had the lowest televised moment of a presidential campaign in American history. It was horrible. It was an assault on every democratic norm we have. And it just, Trump is such a, uh, a creature of bad faith that, you know, even debate rules he agreed to meant nothing. So it, it was a train wreck and a horror. And we're talking about that and how it might be fixed going forward. As far as the politics of it, you know, the Trump, if you work in the Trump campaign for the last 90 days, you get up every day, you have a cry, and then you look in the mirror and think, what can we do today to make the campaign not about firing President Trump, because that's where the country is, but instead, what's wrong with Joe Biden? How do we move the focus? So the debate coming as it did at the end of September was an opportunity for Trump to do well, to reset things and to create an October you know, a uh, situation where he could prosecute Biden and, and maybe get the focus off him and, and close the race because he's perilously behind now in every state that counts, close in a couple, but not close in nearly enough. So did that happen? No, Trump ate the, ate the podium. He set his hair on fire. And that was good for Biden because it was a huge opportunity for Trump to get some forward traction and do something, and he didn't. What he did instead with his performance was he pleased the most loudish part of his base, which is not enough to win the election. The, the voters Trump needs are mostly female. Um, he's got problems with men too, but he really has a problem with female voters, and particularly college-educated uh, white females who live in the suburbs. And the debate last night had the opposite effect. It was like designed to alienate the voters he needs the most. And it gave Biden a pass, because Biden had a few strong moments. And that is good news for Biden, because those are the things that will be shown again and again and again for the next 72 hours on television. Biden also had some wobbly mo moments. And if, if Trump had been an adroit debater, he, he could have done well. Instead, with his childish behavior and his tantrums, he gave the debate to Biden. And most of all, he, he created no traction for October. And every day that goes by of nothing happening is a great day for Joe Biden. So now Biden will have a whole week of tangling Trump up in the horrible debate reviews, and he'll burn off more of the clock ahead 
which is another win for Biden. So I thought it was an epic fail on Trump's part and a gift to the political fortunes of Vice President Biden last night. One of the most interesting things about this this morning is that the viewership was very low. Uh, it wasn't 100 million people. It's 30 million. They're going to add in the cable number, so it'll go up a little bit from that. Uh, but to me, that says that most people really have made up their minds. Yeah. They're not shopping. They're not looking at alternatives. Uh, the second thing, and I agree with you on this, is uh, Trump, not only by his conduct, the way he dealt with Biden, the way he dealt with Chris Wallace. One of my rules is never fight with the moderator. It's not a good idea. Right. Uh, but in addition to that, when he told the Proud Boys to stand back and stand by when he refused to condemn white supremacy, the very voters he has to get, women in the suburbs, college-educated white women, and at least some people of color, were pushed away from him. And so I think that's a, that's a very significant tell. Thirdly, I thought Biden's best moments were often when he wasn't engaged with Trump, when he looked straight into that camera and he talked empathetically about the real problems mm -hmm. that people were facing in their lives, whether it was the economy or, or COVID or the whole sense of racial division. Uh, finally, I was, uh, I was stunned, I guess, that the president uh, would not say that he would accept the results of a certified election. Yeah. Uh, and launched again this massive attack on mail-in ballots, saying things like, how, how could the post office handle 80 million ballots? Well, they handle 160 million first-class letters a day. They handle 2.5 billion uh, letters in the week before Christmas. Uh, so I think we are maybe headed for a potential crisis. Mike, how do you avert that? Well, a, a, a couple of things. One, I want to agree with you. The big news was the Proud Boy stuff and the white supremacism. It's unthinkable an American president wouldn't condemn that. Second, you know, he had no kind words to say to Joe Biden about his son, a decorated veteran, which was incredibly unfeeling and crude and, you know, uh, almost the emotional um, uh, sterility of a sociopath. And I did think that for Biden's wobbles last night, his empathy came through loud and clear, and that's a powerful contrast with Donald Trump, who's uh, clearly got issues. And I think that uh, was a, a good bit for Biden, too. Now, as far as how do you avoid it, there, there are kind of two ways. The most brutally effective would be to win Florida or Ohio or both. Why? Well, they're both big, important states. Frankly, no Republican president has ever been elected I believe, without Ohio, and none since 1924, 96 years, without Florida. So if you win Florida, you win Ohio, you basically crack the Electoral College. Very, very hard for President Trump to catch up. So they're electorally uh, real backbreakers, so if that happened, it would be impressive. But there's another aspect of both of them. They are states that count the absentee ballot, which will be high this time, probably over half the vote, in real time. In other words, when they get when they get right. Them. So some states, the absentee ballot comes in the mail a week before the election. It goes into a, a secure pile to be open starting on election day. Some states have laws like that. Other states, like Wisconsin has that law. Other states allow the clerk to start counting them when they come in, which means on election night or at least late that morning or the, the next morning, you have a pretty complete count. There are always some military ballots from overseas and other mail-in ballots that make them in late. 
But you know 95% you know, of the vote by noon the next day, so it's very definitive. There's no mystery 30% of the vote out there waiting. Well, Ohio and Florida both do it that way. So if either of them report, they will report fast. If they both were to pop, and I will say Ohio's the great secret Biden state right now. He's up for points, or at least he was before the debate. The Republicans there are in a stone-cold panic over this. And Florida's a tight race, but Biden has been consistently, albeit closely, ahead. If they both were to pop, it would, it would snuff out the political candle of Donald Trump, regardless of the absentee story in a Pennsylvania or a Wisconsin or even a Michigan, all states that may take a few days to count a surge in absentee ballot. So, the, you know, the, the, the kind of basic way to do it is crush them in the same-day states, either one of them, hopefully both. Um, the, the other way to do it, if that doesn't happen, and you don't have those results on election night, you've got to get a greater authority to calm the country and reinforce faith in our institutions, because I'm with Biden. I believe the count will be done, and, and he will leave if he loses, because he'll have no choice. But you might have that seven-day period of confusion, and that's where former President Obama and Bush, uh, I think, could make a joint statement and take a public role to kind of calm the country and reinforce faith in our institutions. It, to me, is almost criminal that we're at the point in American election where that has to be contemplated. But the, the president, as he showed in the debate last night, is a bad actor on, these, on, on the duty of uh, reinforcing public trust in our democracy, so there's got to be a reaction to it. But what I'm doing every day is trying to win Florida and encouraging <laughs> others to go win Ohio so the Trump candle is snuffed uh, politically uh, the day after the election. Yeah, I, one of the things in terms of Florida that's interesting, that Proud Boys comment, the comment about the white supremacists, actually I think hurts him in Florida. Uh, first of all, the Proud Boys are anti-Semitic, yeah. and that's going to hurt him with Jewish voters. It's going to hurt him with Latinx voters. It's going to hurt him with African-American voters. He's not going to get many African-American voters. He has to get some. Uh, he was... You mean Trump performed. won't get many African-American voters, yeah, right? Yeah, that's what, yeah, yeah. Trump, Trump will not get many African-American voters, but he has to get some. And he was doing half decently for a Republican in uh, Florida with Latinx voters because of the Cuban community. Uh, but I think the kind of comment about the Proud Boys tends to push those voters away. Uh, one other thing that I, I was, I'm interested in, I know that you believe that Trump acts on impulse, uh, not strategy. Uh, I think it's possible that they or he made a strategic decision last night that he was just going to constantly interrupt, constantly interrupt, try to get under Biden's skin, try to get Biden to lose his temper, maybe even try to exploit the fact that Biden used to have a stutter and throw him off his game. Do you think that's possible, or do you think he just was so mad that he had to be there and he just came in there saying, you know, I, I'm just going to do whatever pops into my head? Yeah, I think his guys told him if you provoke Biden, he may lose his temper. That's good for you. And they probably showed him tape of Joe popping off at a voter or two, which happened in the Iowa caucus and, and other places. So I think that was kind of a goal in his head. But I think his style is much more instinct and almost therapy where he has to rant and rave and he can't stand to be quiet when anyone criticizes him. He's just that insecure. So I think it might have been a mishmash of some kind of vague goals to put Biden off his game and a need to blurt out and an inability to have the self-control to shut up and have any decorum. <laughs> 
And frankly, an instinct he has to just try to dominate everybody, to speak over them, ignore them, just to bully the room. And, you know, he, he succeeded. He bullied everybody. He bullied Wallace. Uh, he bullied Biden. But he, he did it in such an off-putting and horrible way that he did himself a lot more harm than good. Yeah, it's, it's like King Pyrrhus, one more such success and we shall be undone. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I think he paid a, a, a pretty high price for that. The debate commission has just announced that it's going to change the structure of the debates uh, to try to prevent a repetition of this. I think the only thing they could do that would work, two, two measures, is first go back to the kind of basic Kennedy-Nixon structure of the debates where people have an answer, they get a response, they might get a rebuttal. Uh, that was what was done in 2004, for example, in the Kerry Bush debates. Uh, and secondly, don't turn on the mic of the person who isn't supposed to speak, uh, or at least give the moderator the option of turning off the mic. Uh, now, this next debate is going to be a town hall debate. Right, right, a little different. Uh, and, and so you've got to have some rules or... It's just going to descend into. I, I, I get. Can I, can I say what <laughs> what was said on CNN last night? Of course, it's just going to turn into a shit show. Uh, and I think it's 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 Biden might have won last night. I think he did, but democracy lost. Oh, it lost huge. Uh, no, look, I first of all, I sent the debate commission a telegram last night because they are an antiquated organization. So I thought they'd appreciate it telegram and i said my suggestion is the moderator should have a kill switch on the mics and a fire hose because that's what it's going to require to shut donald trump up um i definitely think a mic kill switch is in order because turning off the mic is the only thing that'll have an impact you can't politely say sir you're breaking the i mean wallace who's a tough interviewer tried all that stuff and remember trump doesn't have shame Shame normally works on politicians, but it doesn't work on Donald Trump, so there needs to be a different toolbox, and I hope they develop it. Uh, just to echo your point, the next debate is a town hall, and it's trickier. If Trump wants to start yelling at the audience and getting in fights with audience members with his uncouth behavior, he's welcome to, because that'll hurt him even more. It'll play even worse. I mean, one thing Trump forgot last night was what any television professional will tell you is the first rule of television to any performer. You are in somebody's living room. Behave. And he did the opposite. He, he basically peed on grandma's carpet. He kicked the cat. And that, <laughs> that kind of activity, it just, in the subtext of it, the tension of it, the madness of it, it only plays in a steel cage wrestling uh, match in a, in a backwall or southern town somewhere. So um, this town hall debate, will be an interesting test of will Trump learn from his mistake and will the audience of, of voters asking questions pull him back at all or will we see this horrible thing 2.0? And to your earlier point, will the ratings drop even further? Because so many people have decided, and frankly, they see no reason to sit through such a painful and ridiculous experience. So I think what we should do, and I think you have the questions in front of you, is talk a little less ourselves and respond to the questions that people have. What? We don't get to talk outrageous. No, you are right. <laughs> we will do a favor to our audience here. So let me, let me do a little admin here because I've got a few notes from the all-powerful Erica who really runs the place. And she is urging me properly to urge you, the audience, to please sign up for our 
Center for the Political Future weekly newsletter. And so you never miss one of our Zoom calls or an event. We have a lot of programming we do. So you can, you can do that. I believe you can click on the chat uh, function here on Zoom. Or when in doubt, go to our news, uh, excuse me, go to our website at the, at the University of Southern California. Just Google USC Center for the Political Future. We also have a Twitter feed, USC POL Future, and that can keep you up to date too. Now we have a question from, ooh, Anonymous. Some GOP voices are saying that Trump seemed healthy, vigorous, sharp, and in charge. And Biden seemed frail, forgetful, and like he was really missing a step. What are your views on their physical demeanor in last night's performance? Bob? Well, first of all, I thought Biden was very comfortable in his own skin. He smiled a lot. Uh, He was spontaneous. And one of the things that and, and I think Sleepy Joe is gone, by the way. And I think they ought to stop talking about Sleepy Joe because all they're doing is helping him. Uh, Trump scowled throughout the entire debate. I didn't see him smile once. I didn't see a single empathetic human connecting moment, uh, which is what you look for in these debates. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I guess if you're in the, the Republican spin patrol, you got to put something out there. But I'd say listening to the overwhelming commentary last night, uh, there's there no, not much doubt in my mind that Biden did very well. Uh, there is one fly in the ointment, and maybe, Mike, you could comment on this. Uh, nine of the top 10 Facebook posts that are having interactions today are from pro-Trump people. Uh, is that tell us anything significant? Well, I think it tells us there's intensity within the Trump world. But, you know, as we know from elections, that when you get 40% of the vote and your 40% all do cartwheels coming to the polls to vote for you, that doesn't change the arithmetic. A lukewarm vote is equivalent to a, a deliriously happy vote. Now, my view is Biden did look old last night. And if Trump had been a normal debater, I think he would have given him a real run for his money. If Mike Pence had been debating Biden, uh, it may not have been such a good night for Joe. But Biden had a few strong moments. That's what will play on television. I think Biden overall showed remarkable composure with, with Trump next to him. And the fact that the president chose to act like an angry chimp makes Biden's performance much less important. Trump made the debate, like the election, about him and his failures. So even what I would call a, um, a wobbly Biden performance was effective enough, and it was sharp enough, that I do think some of the uh, Joe is senile stuff, as we've been both predicting for a while, should Biden do a decent debate, went up in smoke. But, you know, it was, it was not, Biden was not the home run king last night, but he didn't need to be because Trump was, you know, eating the scenery. Uh, Biden did enough that it, it was at very worst, if you love Trump, you, you'd still have to call the thing an embarrassment. And so that means nothing big happened to change the race. Trump doubled down on his problems, which is in itself a big win for Biden, because Biden's ahead, and every day that goes by um, is pretty good for Biden. So um, the Republicans can say that, and their 40% can all feel good about it, but their 40% is not enough to win. You know, again, Trump didn't get anybody he needed. He just doubled he didn't down the, on... He didn't he get had. the suburban house... Right. As he calls them suburban housewives, I call them suburban women, white college-educated women. I mean, all of the targets that he should have had. Uh, right. 
going into that debate as as guideposts. I call them fierce women of excellence because I, I, <laughs> I want to keep my job at a university. But um, the truth is, I, what we should really call them is the voters who hold the key to the damn election. And Trump ought to do a lot more respecting and a lot less um, offending if he doesn't want to be wrapped up in a carpet and taken out of the White House screaming and yelling on election day. Uh, okay, so we have another question from Diane Wallace. The debate, this is the debate. I think we kind of answered this, but we can kind of summarize our view. The debate commission has just announced that the coming debate formats will be changed. What would you two recommend for a different format? And knowing they will not take my advice to have a fire hose, I think we both feel the, the best deterrent to Trump is one, a structure of, okay, toddler Donald, you talk. Now it's his turn. And those rules enforced by a Mike kill switch. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, you can have initial statement, rebuttal, and if you want to serve rebuttal, uh, but I think opening this up to five or six minutes or three minutes or two minutes of uh, back and forth spontaneously uh, just ensures a train wreck. It ensures a dumpster fire on steroids, which is what I thought the debate was. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, so this has been going around the, uh, the, the social media world. Oh, you know, I forgot one thing in the Facebook question. Sorry, I'm a little groggy. We recorded Hacks on Tap in the middle of the night last night after the debate um, up on iTunes with myself and David Axelrod. So on Facebook, one of the things we're doing with our USC poll, to Bob's question about the posts that have a ton of likes or hardcore Trump posts, is, and nobody else is doing this, we're going to start pumping out this information to the media and others. In our USC Dornside tracking poll, we are tracking Facebook information flow. We ask a question, hey, do you, are you on Facebook? And a whole lot of people are at a fairly frequent level. Then we ask, are you hearing more good things or bad things from your friends and the things you follow on Facebook about Joe Biden? Are you hearing more good things or bad things about Donald Trump? So we're going to start releasing tracking information to kind of see what people are perceiving they get from Facebook. Now, that is important because the main Facebook metric now is number of likes, which can be a measure of intensity, not a measure of what casual voters are hearing on Facebook as a channel of information. So I think that'll be a very interesting way in October to track uh, that, that, that huge platform and, and how the campaign is playing out there. So check out our website to uh, access that data, and you can, you can kind of follow along at home. Now, here's a question from Scott Obler, which reflects something I think a lot of Democrats were thinking last night. Is there any benefit for Joe Biden to participate in any more debates, given the behavior of Trump in this one? I think he will participate. He's agreed to participate. Uh, my guess is Trump would like to not participate. Uh, he really looked last night like he was in his own head saying, can't somebody get me out of here? I hate this. Uh, and, but I don't think Biden, I don't think there's any profit for Biden in withdrawing from these debates. In fact, I think the next debate, the town hall format, plays to his strengths. Uh, so I expect to see Biden there. I agree with that. And the Biden posture ought to be, look, you know, it, it, I have to take et cetera in, but the more the country can see that we have an unfit raving lunatic in the White House, the better for the country and the better for me. I, I do think in the concrete terms, the Biden campaign has answered this question. They will debate. But there were two moves they could make that I think would resonate and help them. One, I think they can answer the psychology of fatigue 
that people are so tired after that debate. It's like going to the dentist. Do we have to do another one? And Biden can say, look, if you're tired of this campaign and Donald Trump, vote early. Vote right now. You, know, you, can, you can send in your vote and the campaign's over for you. You can turn off the TV and take a vacation and I'll see you at the inauguration. You know, I mean, he can urge people to, there's no obligation to stay tuned if they've made a decision. Uh, and, and I think the second thing the Biden people can do through surrogates, I don't want to hear Joe Biden whining about it, but the Biden campaign can launch a pretty good offensive that there ought to be a microphone kill switch. And the Trump people, oh, we don't need it. And yes, you do. And it just sets up the predicate for more Trump misbehavior, which puts the Trump people on the defense. And it's good fodder for cable news to have a four or five day big fight about does Donald Trump need a shock collar and a microphone kill switch because he can't handle a debate. It just reinforces all the stuff that's good for Biden and it'll provoke the Trump people to have a stupid reaction. So I would have the campaign start that fight, but I would not link it to a threat not to appear. Uh, I would just bait the Trump people with it and pressure the media a little bit. And then I would have Joe show up and have him endure another one and maybe with a little stronger counterpunching uh, because now, now he knows what, what Trump's shtick is. Um, anyway, that would be my suggestion. Now, my favorite part of the debate is addressed in this anonymous question from our friend Anonymous. Biden called Trump a clown, told him to shut up, and told him to keep, uh, told him, I think, to quit yapping. Chris Wallace did not call out Biden for these insults. He called out Trump a lot for disrupting. Was Chris Wallace biased? How do you think the other moderators will perform, better or worse than Wallace? Bob, you go first, and then I've got a few I thought Chris, I thought Chris Wallace did as well as he could have under very difficult circumstances. He's a completely straight shooter. He's on Fox News. He's built a reputation that he asked tough questions of both sides. Uh, and frankly, I thought in that exchange, that in the exchanges that were going on between Biden and Trump, that... Uh, Biden probably spoke for a majority of the country, or at least a majority of the viewers, when he said, oh, shut up, man. Uh, and I don't think there would have been any purpose in Wallace calling that out. What Wallace was trying to do was enforce the rules. The rules are not about what you say, but when you speak. And that's why he said, quite frankly, to the president, who was responsible, I think, for 71 interruptions last night. Biden, I think, was responsible for about 20. Uh, well, Mr. President, you're the one who's doing this all the time, and please can't you let us move forward and discuss the real issues? Yeah, I, I thought Wallace is fair, and he did the best job he could because, again, he was dealing with an angry chimpanzee. I wish he had one of those little boating air horn honker things because a few of those blasts might have helped him. Uh, but, you know, Wallace did about as well as he could, but Trump, you know, bullied him too. And there's just a limit to the tools in a civilized debate you can use, and Trump didn't recognize this as a civilized debate. So um, I don't think he was biased. I thought some of the section, I would have led with COVID. I mean, I can quibble with some of the questions and, and how the, the segments were constructed. Uh, I, I thought those were actually a little too easy on Trump. But then, you know, I'm a raving anti-Trump conservative. But all in all, I don't really fault Chris Wallace. I think net net he was in an impossible situation and did pretty good. Now, it is true that Biden used language that in any traditional campaign or debate for president would be the headline. Calls him a clown. Oh, and there'd be all this pearl clutching. But it made Biden was a kitty cat in the insult department compared to Trump. And again, the predicate was set by Trump's behavior. So um, 
I, I'm going to give Biden a pass on that, but it's true. Biden didn't, didn't stand there like a statue the whole time. He did punch back a little. Sometimes it worked better than others. Now, to the question of what do I think about the other moderators, I believe the town hall, the next moderator, Steve Scully of C-SPAN, who is a wonderful human and a widely respected journalist. But, you know, he, he is not, he, he is not uh, a, a killer Kowalski. Um, and so he's going to need tools to control Trump uh, because his demeanor is civilized journalism, and that we know uh, is, is difficult with, with Trump. So I think this is why the debate commission has to step up and give the moderator um, uh, some, some powerful compliance tools to enforce uh, a little more grown-up behavior. Uh, okay, from insults, we go to a question from Calvin Lau, can the third debate be canceled? Well, one of the candidates could say they're not going to show up. You know, after a bad town hall debate where, where the audience all starts throwing paper cups at Trump, he may not show up for the third one. I mean, you know, we now know anything goes, but um, it takes a candidate to drop out, and the Biden people have been pretty clear they're going to show up. So I think it's highly unlikely. But nobody has to watch it. I have a feeling the third debate could be the least watched presidential debate by a significant margin in American history because it's become crazy background noise and people don't find value in it if they think it's going to be like what they painfully sat through with low ratings, by the way, uh, last night. I don't think Trump likes debates. I don't think he wants to debate. I think he will debate. and There will be a third debate because he absolutely needs something to happen to have any chance to close the gap here. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, a question from Erica. Uh, I'm going to mispronounce your last name, uh, Erica. I'm sorry. It's F-U-S-T-E. I'll say Fuste. Uh, how do you feel about Biden's tactic to remain calm and respect Trump's speaking time? Is it better for Biden to engage with or ignore Trump at all costs? Well, I, don't, I think what Biden did last night was he engaged at times and at other times he ignored uh, Trump, and as I said earlier, turned, looked straight into the camera, and talked in human terms about the issues that people are dealing with in their lives. Uh, I think it would be a big mistake for Biden to uh, emulate Trump or to in any way engage with Trump constantly on Trump's terms. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, look, emotionally, Democrats wanted a moment where, where Biden really chewed out Trump last night. And Biden didn't quite deliver that, although there were a few spots like when he was defending his son's service that I thought were very effective for him. But again, that, that implies a debate will, where you, know, you can do it. What happens is the minute you engage Trump, he starts shouting at you and it becomes an unintelligible mess. So I thought Biden did the balance pretty well. I would have probably encouraged a little more strength Though Biden did break through the morass when he talked to the camera. I agree with Bob on this. So if I were Biden in the third debate, I think I would start to the camera and play to the camera the whole time. And I would start with, look, I'm, I'm caught in a zoo cage with a crazy orangutan tonight. So I'm going to ignore the orangutan and I'm going to talk to you because I think you need a grown-up president who can bring the country together. <laughs> you know, and occasionally you just get silent and said, are you finished with your tantrum? Okay, and then back to the camera and try to marginalize Trump as much as possible. I think that could be a good strategy for the third debate. 
Now, a question from our friend Hollywood legend and friend of the friend of the center, Sean Daniel. Is it possible that this was Trump's strategy? Trump knows he's going to lose. His debate performance came across as a deliberate strategy to create chaos and incite violence around the election to prevent a fair counting of the ballots. Bob? If that was his strategy, I don't think it worked, but I do think he riled up about 30% of the country or 30% of the voters uh, by telling them the election was going to be fraudulent. And that's what he said. It's going to be fraudulent. Uh, I think his strategy was more designed, Sean, to throw off Biden, to throw Biden off his game uh, and to make it almost impossible for Biden to talk. Uh, it didn't work. I think it hurt Trump. Uh, but I don't think that at the end of the day, for reasons Mike spelled out earlier, and I added my own two cents on it, I don't think that the effort to, to steal the election, that is, if Trump is losing, I don't think he's going to be able to engage in a whole bunch of procedural moves that will ultimately result in him uh, staying in the White House. I think actually there will be adults in the room and the government who will tell him he has to go. Yeah, absolutely. And remember the U.S. Army and all our armed services, the officers take an oath to the Constitution of the United States, not to the president. Um, so I, I would just echo what Bob is saying, um, you know, about this with, I just don't think Trump is strategic. I, I think if you were to look into the, the, the salad of Trump's thoughts, one would be just rage at the media that he thinks has covered them unfairly, uh, particularly now in the wake of the New York Times story. Huge embarrassment that the billionaire peers he's so desperate over 30 years to impress know that he's bleeding cash and going broke and is going to fall out of the billionaire thing pretty quickly uh, unless he can deal with all the debt he's got by selling assets. Three, uh, uh, some sort of win. So if he leaves the White House, he still has a marketable brand to help dig out of the hole. And then four, the possible tax criminal case pending around the Southern District of New York. You know, those are all problems. And the best thing for him is to win the election and still be president. He'll negotiate from a position of strength. So I think he's very afraid he's losing, but I don't think he's certain he's going to lose. And I think all, all campaigns live in a bubble that underestimate their opponent unless good strategists keep them from doing that. So Trump thinks Biden is senile barely knows what's going on, and is weak. So if Trump can bluster and bully enough that Biden runs from the stage weeping or whatever Trump imagined the great outcome was, it would be a win. So you kind of had a caged animal knowing only aggression last night, and Trump was kind of playing the only piano key he knows, pounding on it. The problem is it's the wrong key to get him out of the trouble he's in. And, you know, now he's, he leaves this debate, his greatest opportunity for an October reset, thrashing around in quicksand. Uh, well, the Biden campaign is on a whistle-stop tour going to, among other states, Ohio, where they now, along with Florida, have a second good shot at breaking Trump's neck politically. So um, I, don't, I don't know if it was a strategy. I think it was more of a desperate lunge. And again, I, I don't think it worked for him. Now, we've discussed this before, but people want to know so we can we're answer the question and summarize from Judith Harris. Any more commentary on Chris Wallace's performance of moderator? To me, he lost total control and waited way too long to set limits on Donald Trump. I was not sure whether Biden needed to question Wallace about taking control as moderator. Comments. 
I think a lot of Biden supporters who, we, let's face it, are not, don't like Trump, really want that Aaron Sorkin movie where a moderator or somebody really chews out Trump and tells him to sit down and shut up. And they did not get that emotional satisfaction last night. So there's some frustration with Chris Wallace. But, you know, to be fair, a moderator has limited tools. Bob, is, if you were Chris Wallace, is there anything you would have done or he should have done that you think was a glaring omission last night? Well, I don't think it was glaring. He could have earlier called the president on the interruptions and said, we're going to do this in a different way, uh, and I'm going to enforce the time. But, of course, the only way he could do that was by saying something. He didn't have any tool where he could turn off the mic, uh, where he could ensure he didn't have a fire hose. I mean, he literally yeah. didn't have anything but his own voice. Uh, so I, I, I don't really fault him. Uh, you know, the Trump people are attacking him today, saying that Trump had to debate two people. He had to debate Biden. He had to debate Wallace. Uh, and Wallace asked some tough questions. I mean, I'm sure Trump did not like that white supremacy question. You could tell when he got asked. Yeah. I mean, he couldn't bring himself. Well, he kept saying, tell me what to say, you know, which yeah. is very transparent. <laughs> and Biden uh, said, well, what about the Proud Boys? Yeah. At which point he, he blurts out this line about stand back and stand by, which I think will be the line remembered out of this debate, and which is a terrifying line if you think about it coming from an American president. Yeah, I concur with that. Now, the one time where I think Trump started to score as a normal candidate and Wallace could have done a stronger follow-up because Biden just had a terrible answer was, are you going to expand the Supreme Court? And Biden tried to make a meal out of, well, I don't want to make that an issue. Well, it's a presidential debate. There are issues, and that's a big one. Kamala Harris had screwed up that question earlier, and uh, I think the problem was Trump started screaming and bloviated and ruined his own offense there. Uh, but I think, I think that was a question that was worth some follow-up because Joe Biden should answer it. And uh, I thought his evasion was reckless in Biden's lowest moment of the debate. Uh, and my guess is the Biden campaign will force itself to land on an answer to that. Uh, they're afraid of their progressive base. I wouldn't be if I were them. People don't want it, and Biden can show a little leadership. But that, that is a vulnerability that got a little worse last night, which surprised me. But other than that, I don't have any substantial criticism of Wallace's moderate. I, I actually think that the filibuster is a different question than enlarging the court. Uh, there will be more resistance to enlarging the court uh, than there will be to getting rid of the last vestige of the filibuster. I yeah. mean, Harry Reid got rid of it for federal appointees, all federal appointees and judicial appointees, except the Supreme Court. Uh, then Mitch McConnell got rid of it for the Supreme Court. So it's only left now for legislation. And I would not be surprised if it's, if it was modified substantially or even just gotten rid of. I think that's where the votes are, though. I bet the traditionalists like Joe Biden don't like it, and they're right. Um, okay, a question from Terry McMullen. Many of my Republican friends are struggling with Trump and as a result may choose not to vote at all compared to voting for Biden. If such a thing became prevalent, it seems to me it would have a big impact on other races. Mike, do you think this could happen? Uh, short answer is I do, but Bob, why don't you talk about it first? No, Mike, you're, you're running Republican voters against Trump. <laughs> Ourvet.org, and we appreciate your contributions. So, yes, I think some will drop off. 
you know, political scientists often say there are several kinds of voters. There are people who are Republicans, Democrats, Independents, and people who choose not to participate. That's kind of their participation. They opt out. So generally in a presidential year, most people who voted before vote again. It tends to be naturally a high turnout thing. But there are going to be Republicans who don't like Trump and just can't go there to vote for Biden. And they may decide not to vote. Then it becomes a question of, do they vote the rest of the ticket or do they just totally, you know, not vote at all? My guess is there'll be a split. Some will participate down the ticket. Others will just not even participate in election day. And they've got reasons like COVID or Trump ginning up fears about vote by mail, which are unfounded. But there are a lot of reasons they can kind of rationalize I'm taking the year off. And it could have an impact. And it could have an impact down the ticket. I don't think it'll be a tidal wave. But my guess is a couple points of traditional Republican vote. Normally, Republican presidents in, in an election year, particularly a re-elect, get about 93 94% of the Republican vote. Trump's down to the low 80s in a lot of places. And I think some of that will be people choosing not to vote for him. So, yeah, I think it will have an Im impact on the election, but it won't be the driving cause. A question from Martin Dunleavy from the great state, or the great, I believe, Commonwealth of Connecticut. Bob, Connecticut, state or Commonwealth? State, state. State, okay. Commonwealth of Massachusetts, state of Connecticut. Although, after the Waterbury scandal, there used to be an old joke by the political comedian that Delaware, Connecticut, and Rhode Island were going to break away and form their own country, Corruptica. So I, I, I recant that smear against the great state of Connecticut, and let's get to Martin's question. Was Trump successful in avoiding his tax issue last night? That's a good question. What do you think, Bob? Not much time was spent on it, but to the extent you still had the 30 million or 35 million people who were watching, uh, they heard that he only paid $750 in taxes in 2016 and 2017. Now, as Wallace kept pressing him, he actually said, I paid millions of dollars in income taxes. And I thought Biden was actually good there when he kept saying, just release your taxes, then we'll know. Yep. Yeah, you know, I think it's one of these weird things where, well, um, the good news is he kind of did avoid the topic. The bad news is he avoided it by stabbing himself in his own eyes. So, you know, it, yeah, you know, it kind of, but, but the issue's out there. And in fact, what he didn't do was address it effectively. He, he really had no answer. He just knocked the table over. Mike, if someone asks that in the town hall meeting, he's going to have to address it. He yeah. can't blow off a voter. Yeah, and what he'll say is, I paid millions and millions. I'm rich, very rich, very amazingly rich. Um, and then maybe Biden can call on it. All I know is I'm a poor kid from Scranton whose dad didn't give him $100 million, and I pay more than you do. All right, Anon you can tell I secretly want to be a Biden debate prepper. Uh, anonymous question. Every week we have discussed the volume, reliability, and other issues related to mail-in ballots and the topic came up again last night. What concerns do we have, if any, about mail-in ballots in this election? Have we seen anything lately that especially concerns or reassures? Should the public be worried? Why or why not? Postmaster General Shrum, what do you say? <laughs> I say that the state of Washington and state of Oregon have been voting almost entirely by mail-in ballot for a long time. Uh, California, huge percentage of people do mail-in uh, voting. Uh, the military has been voting by mail. 
since the Civil War, and in fact, mail-in ballots in 1864 uh, saved Abraham Lincoln's reelection and saved the Union. Uh, I think our biggest concern about mail-in ballots is that it should be that we have a president of the United States who is attacking them in such a way that he's trying to delegitimate the results of an election that he fears he might lose. Uh, but I don't have any. There's been a lot of a lot of uh, studies of this. The Brennan Center has studied it. Uh, there have been other studies, and I just don't have any sense that mail-in ballots are a source of anything but de minimis electoral fraud. Yes, I concur with that. So here, here's, as Joe Biden would say, look, here's the deal. There is error in the election system. There always is. There's not widespread fraud. That's wrong. There's occasionally little patches of fraud, but on world standards, not a lot. But there is systemic error. We remember the chads, their lost ballots, the Postal Service, which has been having systemic problems for the last five years as private carriers like FedEx and UPS have become more integrated and powerful, and the post offices at rising cost and, and lowering revenue, has, has had some problems. So there is a chance, a small chance, that your ballot can get screwed up. Now, mail-in ballots are pretty safe. They have a good track record, but they're not error-free. Um, Vote-in-person ballots and machines are not a 1,000% error-free. There's a small error in it, like any big, complicated system. But you don't have to worry that you're choosing with, an, with a mail-in ballot to participate in a, a flip failed system, because it's not true. Now, if you want to be really safe, you can show up at most places. They have early voting polls that are not crowded. You can walk your ballot in. You can walk your California or many other state absentee ballot in a couple days earlier. So there are ways that you can participate a little bit more in the process. Now, one thing about absentee vote by mail is often the ballots are one click more complicated. So you got to read the instructions and be careful. There's a little more window for human error caused by you, dear voter, in the system. So, but as far as Trump's fantasy, that there's an army of, uh, of, of sneaky Democratic communist operatives who are hiding in postal uniforms to ruin your ballots, that's all bunk. It is true they've had some early problems in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, the states that are new to absentee ballots, which is not in Ohio or Florida, but, but Pennsylvania's that it, it traditionally have harder laws to request one, therefore lower volume, uh, they're having a few teething pains. If I voted in the great Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, I would walk my ballot in just being slightly paranoid. But if I didn't have time to do that and I voted by mail, I'd be reasonably confident it'll work out. The idea of huge systemic fraud through absentee ballots is crazy. The absentee ballot system was essentially invented by Republicans who brought it to California and it's helped them win a lot of elections. Bureaucrats in the operating machinery of the Republican Party are horrified by what Trump is saying because he thinks it's, they think it's going to hurt Republican voting. So um, of all the things to worry about in this election, I, your mail-in ballot would be low on my list. Bob, any final comments? Because I think it's time to wrap up here. No, I think I just want to thank people for watching. Uh, we're on this remarkable, uh, fascinating, and sometimes repellent journey to November 3rd and beyond. Uh, we're going to try to stay on top of it with you. Uh, and we look forward to seeing you next Thursday, uh, October 8th, with Minion Moore to talk about what happened in the vice presidential debate. Mike Pence, by the way, 
will be a better debater than people expect. Oh, far better. He, he is underrated, and Kamala Harris, in my view, is overrated. It will be interesting. Now, I'm going to finish with uh, a, a little call to mission here. Uh, the USC Center, we do a lot, as you know, if you've been watching these Zoom things we do and others. We're looking forward to COVID receding so we can open up our in-person work on campus. Uh, we help kids get internships. We send them out to the Iowa caucus to learn how campaigns really work and build a network. Uh, that can be life-changing for somebody who wants to be in politics. We have fellows. Uh, we do a ton of stuff, but we need your help. So Bob and I are urging you to support USC in the Center for Political Future by joining our elite center leadership circle. Your donation, tax-deductible, I believe, you can check with our office, it is. funds scholarships, events, student jobs, and so many programs designed to help Trojans promote civil discourse and help save democracy. So you can check it out on our website. It's the Center for Legal Futures uh, um, Center Leadership Circle, and it is our, our main way to be able to help fund a lot of the good work we do. You can make a real difference and get a tax deduction so in your own way you might even be able to pay down at that Trump level. <laughs> um, so with that, we thank you for joining. We'll be back soon. And, uh, Bob, I look forward to talking about the next debate with you after uh, debate, presidential debate number two. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on Election R&D. It helps us a lot when you subscribe and rate the show five stars on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast from. Follow us on Twitter at USC POL Future. That's USC POL Future. Follow us on Facebook and YouTube and visit our website for upcoming programs. 